Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, my name is James Pywell and this is the 92 Podcast. I'm on a quest to speak to one fan from each of the 92 football teams that make up the Premier League, the Championship, League One and League Two. Each episode, I'll shine the spotlight on a different club, talking to their fans, testing their knowledge and learning what it's like to be a supporter of their team and what makes supporting their club different from the rest. In this episode, the focus is on the Black Cats, Sunderland. What you'll find being a Sunderland fan is you'll experience some pretty bad lows, but it tends to make the highs all the more sweeter when they come round type thing. It's almost like if, if, you, if you're taking the lows when the highs come, you'll appreciate them more. You will have rival fans who who mock Sunderland, but I think that's just the nature of English football. I've been in plenty of weekends and heard of weekends at the stage of my life, shout we saw you crying on the Netflix, etc. Um, which is probably true. Now, Sunderland are a team that I actually do know a lot of things about. I went to university in the North East and had a season ticket for the Black Cats too when they were still in the Premier League. I saw plenty of highs and lows, including a brilliant Fabio Barini strike against rivals Newcastle. I witnessed the great cup run that led to the Capital One Cup final trip to Wembley against Man City. And I witnessed firsthand the raw passion that the city of Sunderland has for its football team. Now, to assist me in educating the world about Sunderland is Black Cats fan Phil, who joins me on this episode to share his experiences and memories, and to perhaps even teach me a few things I didn't know either. Hello, Phil. Welcome to 92 Podcast. Hi, James. Thanks for having us. A bit of pressure on the education side. I hadn't realised I knew that much about Sunderland already, so... But no, great. Thanks for having us. No worries. So, I mentioned in the intro there that you're a proper Sunderland fan. How long have you supported them? All my life, basically, as soon as I came out the mother's womb. That's probably the... The best way of describing it, born into it from a family point of view, both sides of the family, Sunderland mad. So yeah, it's pretty much been a, a lifetime of, of supporting them from, from a very young age, been going to games and yeah, being a season ticket holder now, what, what am I now, 29? Realising how old I am as I say that, as I'm thinking about the years. Yeah, I've been a season ticket holder since I was about nine or 10 and before that was still going to games you know where I could uh, without one uh, with with my, with my family. So yeah, it's 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 just been a forever associ- association basically. What was it that got you into football in the first place? I think first and foremost, as I say, kind of alluding back to my family, my dad is crazy about something. Like he's probably as crazy about it as I am, which is is where probably it all came from. Just. The environment I was in, as I say, because both sides of the family were, were so interested in Sunderland, that obviously kind of created that intrigue from a young age and, and wanting to find out about it. But I would say I really, really started to get a love for it, probably about the age of like five or six, something like that, you know, maybe six or seven when you're starting to kind of just, you like football, but you start to kind of gauge a little bit what's happening and, and who the players are and, and, and those types of different things. So, yeah, I've, I've pretty much... For as long as I can remember, I've, I, it, it's been my main interest. And yes, yeah, Sunderland's just been a forever present, really. So we'll come on to the current season in a little while, but it's been a bit of a roller coaster being a Sunderland fan in recent years, hasn't it? That's put it How mildly, would you describe that's, it? Let's put it mildly, James. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, the last few years have been a roller coaster. I, I would have said the, the entire time of supporting Sunderland's a roller coaster. There's so many highs and lows. But yeah, in particular, the last few years have been. Have, an extreme nature i mean kind of going back from the start i mean i'd probably as i say kind of gauging my understanding and and getting a real understanding for it i was caught i kind of 
started really gauging what was going on around the time we moved to the stage in the light in the late 90s, the emergence of Kevin Phillips. And it was a really good time, to be honest. And I always argue that Sunderland took advantage of my childhood naivety because for the first few years of supporting Sunderland, we were really good. So in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, this is brilliant, this. And then by the time it had come to reality that we weren't as good as what we thought we were, I was too sucked into it to, to have any alternative. The one thing I'd say with Sunderland is we, we are a team that, you know, traditionally in the 90s and the noughties were very up and down championship, the Premier League. We had a couple of years in the Premier League where we had a couple of seventh place finishes. But in the main, we've generally looked to stay up in the Premier League or look to get promoted out of the championship. What happened in the last few years is we'd actually managed 10 years in the Premier League in the noughties. Sorry, not in the noughties, in the tens. And that, you know, it was a consistent amount of years at the top level, which which we hadn't had for a long time. And when we've got relegated, we've obviously got relegated two years on the bounce and the club was just in an awful mess. We had a owner in Ellis Short who just, I think he put a lot of money into the club, to be fair to him. He does get a lot of criticism, but he did put a lot of money into the club. The problem with Ellis Short was, from the outside looking in anyway, it certainly looked like he put his trust in people spending that money who basically let him down big style. And it got to the point where we got in a ridiculous amount of debt. And it got to the point where he just couldn't spend any more money. So when we got to the championship, we, we literally just had this team that was just the worst team I've ever seen in all the years of following Sunderland. I'd, I'd grown up with my dad always saying if I'd win John about Sunderland, you know, ah, oh, it's not as bad as when Sunderland went down to the old third division, which is obviously equivalent to Lego. And now had that for years. I don't get that anymore now because that was the worst season by a mile. And then Stuart Donald coming in when we went down to League One. Initially, there was some hope there. You know, I think a lot of us, including myself, kind of got sucked into believing his interests were from a footballing perspective to um you know take us to the next level he was in fairness to him quite honest and said he could only take the club so far before he'd need a buyer but it became evident pretty quick that he didn't have the sufficient funds to even facilitate owning Sunderland in the period of time he suggested he could do something with us um so that again created a problem and it's been a bit of a, a shock to Sunderland fans I think our third season in League One now, if you take into account, obviously the pandemic cut the, the second season short, of course, but it's it's been a, a big shock. Yeah, I think I think as as I speak today, we've got a new owner in, in Kirill Dreyfus. We've got Lee Johnson, who's came in. We're on a crack and run. Things, I would say, probably in the last two months have really started to be positive again, and that positive move within the club has really started progressing again. But But before that... We have been, we have had a dark cloud over the club for a long time. There's definitely been an optimism shift in like the last couple of months and ever since obviously the new owner came in. But I think the, I think the point about Stuart Donald is important as well because obviously Sunderland is a unique club in the fact that it had a Netflix documentary series about it, so everybody got to see a lot more about the club than what they perhaps usually would. Did you did you watch it? What did you think about it as a Sunderland fan? I did watch it. I've got a. A balanced opinion on it. From a fan perspective, I think there's one side of the club that it shows. So, certainly in the first series, I think it shows the, the club and the fans in a very good light. I think it shows you, in terms of the background of the club and some of the staff in the background, especially like the, the, there was a the kitchen staff and there was the guys working in the ticket office, etc. 
I mean, it, in that respect, I think it really shows a, a, a cracking image of the club. It really kind of reflects well and, and reflects on the, the reality of, you know, the passion there is there, both internally within the club, people who are genuine Sunderland fans who work for the club who want us to, to do the best we possibly can, but also, you know, shows you the fans and, and the commitment of the fans as well. That side of it, I didn't mind so much. But yeah, I mean, just alluding to that season I've just mentioned in the Championship in 2017-2018, the fact that we did a worldwide documentary of all the seasons we could have picked, we picked that season. I, I, I watched that series once and I've not been able to watch it again. Like, you know, sometimes on Netflix you think, ah, oh, there's not much to watch. I'll watch this again. Yeah. I can't. I can't. I struggle. And, and with the second series, I didn't enjoy the second series at all. I, I basically, besides the fact that it showed the Charlton game and the playoff final in the last minute, every single time I watched that to this day, not so much on Netflix because I've only watched it the once. But if I watch it on any, or anything or if it comes up to this day, it still churns away at me. But I felt like that second series was very much the Stuart Donald and Charlie Mefflin show. And it got away from what the first series was about, albeit the team was terrible. The first series was very much all about the club, the fans, the city, the community. The second series just felt like the... It, it felt, I mean, Charlie Mefflin, I mean, people have turned around and said it. It's, it's like Ricky Gervais when he was in the office. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it was farcical, to be honest. And the timing of that series coming out was about a year after obviously all those events took place and, and fans were beginning to get frustrated with Mefton and Donald by this point anyways and there was stuff that we didn't even know about which became evident on the series such as the Will Grigg transfer. In fairness to Donald I wasn't complaining when we signed Will Grigg you know at that level you, he had a good record it was a lot of money but in the back of your mind as a fan in the moment you think to yourself well if he scores the goals if he gets us promoted but obviously that didn't happen in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. But when you actually watch the nature of those transfer negotiations and how we just flippantly, without any rationale around it, just kept throwing numbers at Wigan. I mean, Wigan must have been laughing the head off. And the fact that he hasn't even done that well at Sunderland just, just you know, makes it even worse. What I would say, though, is from a worldwide point of view, again, I think it's really shown Sunderland in a good light. You will have rival fans who who mocks Sunderland, but I think that's just the nature of English football. I've been in plenty of weigh-ins and heard of weigh-ins at the stage of my life, shout, we saw you crying on the Netflix, except, <laughs> um, which is probably true. For example, I work in international trade, so I actually speak to people overseas quite a lot. And when you end up speaking to them and you have a bit of crack with them and say, oh, I'm from you know, the North East, oh, do you like football? Who just that the first thing a lot of them turn around and say, which does shock me, it is quite common. I've had people from like Sweden, and uh, like America, um, and I even had someone in South Africa, and they go, oh yeah, Netflix, Netflix, and you think, by God, and when you realise that, you realise the audience that it's gripped, and it makes you wonder with the likes of Kirill Dreyfus, I'm sure he hasn't just bought the club because he's seen it on Netflix, but it makes you wonder if these types of people have more of awareness about who we are as a club, the potential of us, because that that's the thing. I mean, the guys who made the Netflix are a, um, a group of Sunderland fans, Fullwell 73, the production company. And they're, they're quite, I mean, they do um, some some massive projects. They, I believe they do the Late Late Show with James Corden in America. Yeah. I mean, they're not, you know, it wasn't just kind of, uh, uh, oh, we'll do Sunderland. I mean, the people who were doing it knew about the club, knew about the potential. 
And there is a 49,000 seat stadium there. There's, there is a massive fan base in. I know it's a broken record about North East football and people say it's the hotbed of football, but you know yourself, James, you know, you've sat in it. When it's going well, you won't, you, you really won't get a, a, a better bunch of football fans who'll back you to the hilt. See, that's a very good point as well. One thing that's synonymous with Sunderland is the Roker Roar. Obviously, that, that originated at Roker Park. Do you think that atmosphere is translated to the Stadium of Light? I think in the early days, I mean, I, I will I will say, you know, with Roker Park, I mean, Roker Park shut down in 97. So I'll have been six when, when Roker Park shut down. So I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that was uh, there when Montgomery was saving penalties in the FA Cup final or anything. But what, what I would say is certainly... In the early days of the stadium of light, the atmosphere was electric, and and it, you know there was no concerns from from what from what I remember anyway, and, and from my memories of going to stadium of light, late nineties, early noughties, when I think we we won Division One, the championship now with record points, one hundred and five points. We had Kevin Phillips emerging. The next year, Kevin Phillips went to the golden European Golden Boot. We finished seventh. We then go and finish seventh the next season. Those years, which were the first years of the stadium, I mean, it was absolutely electric. And then, obviously, you know, like a lot of football clubs, success obviously can can only be maintained for so long. And and we did drop off a little bit. But, yeah, in in the main, I would say it it depends who you speak to. I've spoke to people from a generation from Roker Park who, who to this day say they still wish to were at Roker Park. But I've been at the stadium of light on some days, like, you know, some of the derby wins, as you alluded to, with the Barini day. But, like, Chelsea at home under Allardyce when we won 3-2. I mean, the roof ripped off the place. It was absolutely electric. And, again, I'm not even exaggerating. It really was some atmosphere. We've had we've had some England games in that stadium as well, like England versus Turkey, which was quite a, a, a cracking atmosphere. I always, there's a quote from Gary Neville after that Turkey game, saying it was one of the best atmospheres he's ever played in. Albeit that was an England game, it just kind of tells you the noise that you can generate in that stadium. Absolutely. Obviously, like you said as well, the atmosphere at the stadium of light is, it's electric when they're doing well, but when they're doing not so well, the atmosphere can change rather quickly, <laughs> can't it? Yeah, it's, uh, there's no medium, that's for sure. Yeah, as Sunderland fans, I think, you know... It's a good and a bad thing, but what, what you'll find being a Sunderland fan is you'll experience some pretty bad lows, but it tends to make the highs all the more sweeter when they come round type thing. It's almost like if, if, you, if you're taking the lows, when the highs come, you'll appreciate them more. I mean, over the years, especially, you know, when we were getting relegated from the championship and, and getting relegated from the Premier League, we, we do, I, I will, you know, admit, we do get on the, on the team's back quite a lot. Do I think it's as bad as people make out externally? Probably not, no. I think you get a lot of footballers who are very keen to, you know, use that as an excuse. I think this season's just proved it's perhaps not as toxic as people make out because what, certainly when Phil Parkinson was in charge this season and uh, we couldn't couldn't hit a barn door bar, bar Charlie White, you know, you couldn't blame it on the fans then because we even had Charlie Methanen try and insinuate that the fans were an issue um, at one point, but that proved to be the case because in the first half of the season we still struggled and we weren't there. So I don't think it. I don't think we are a negative impact on the players to the point where I think they can't perform. And I think a professional footballer, anyway, if I'm honest, albeit I know the humans, I, I still would like to think a professional footballer would have the mindset where they can they can play within certain atmospheres. But yeah, it it can be. You know, if things aren't going well, there's it's the same for you know 
the, the northeast in general i think there's it sounds corny and i know it does but it is genuinely true there is that passion for the football club that people do genuinely just get frustrated and just genuinely want that success so much and when it doesn't come the frustration spills out i think for me as well um, part of the frustration is the fact that the away fans are above the home fans in one end of the ground that also adds to the atmosphere as well doesn't it so when sunderland are losing you've got the away fans above your head and you can just shout abuse at them and that in a way kind of helps spur the lads along the pitch as well yeah it's an, it's an interesting one that i remember i remember when they changed because the, the away fans used to be what's now called the Roker end. Yeah. It's, it's Sunderland, which is like kind of like the main kind of singing stand, if you like. Now, that was originally where the away fans were. And I always remember we had Martin O'Neill as manager and we were in the FA Cup quarterfinal replay in 2012 against Everton. And in the FA Cup games, obviously, you allowed a bigger allocation for away fans. I remember Everton brought a load of fans. And I was in the East Stand and, and usually, I mean, the away fans, even when they were in that stand, were relatively quite far away. But I mean, the Everton fans were right up next to us. The atmosphere they generated as, as an away fan, and I know it from, from following Sunderland away, that is that extra, like, right we're away from home like come on like type thing and I, I i actually felt like it was an advantage to everton that night that they were so close to the pitch and i had all those fans and lo and behold the next season all the fans are up the top which i i didn't find a coincidence if i'm honest <sighs> again there's pros and cons to that as you say when things are going well you know you've got all the sudden fans surrounding the pitch and you know there is some positives there but I've no doubt you'll probably speak to some Sunderland fans, and as you say, that that toxic element. I mean, sometimes I wish there was some Sunderland away fans, and they were them that wouldn't get as much stick. Again, I, I kind of sit on the fence again. Not sound like a politician. I kind of sit on the fence again with them, with them being so high up because you know, as I say, when it's going well, and you take that atmosphere away from the away fans, it's good. But I mean, I remember like the first. It, it happened twice within the space of like three weeks in our first season in League One, where. Two teams who really have it in for us is Portsmouth and Coventry. The Portsmouth one, I, I think they've genuinely just kind of realised they're never going to play Southampton again for years, and we play in red and white or something like that. And and with Coventry, there is a bit of, there is a bit of history there back and forth. But for, like, the, the, but within the space of two or three weeks, both away fans threw flares from the top of the stand into the home end. And don't get me wrong, that can happen if they're down the bottom as well. But it's probably not as it wouldn't happen as frequently and, and they probably wouldn't get away with it as easily. So there's that element I'm, I'm, I'm not mad on. My, my preference would be to stick them in a corner, have them down the bottom where ultimately, yeah, okay, they're down the bottom and they're near their own players. But what it probably will do is because they're so close to the home fans down the bottom, it probably spur the, the home fans on a little bit, uh, kind of sharpen up the atmosphere yeah. a little bit as well. And yeah, that, that would probably be my preference. Stick them in a corner so they're not behind the goal, so they're not, you know, kind of right behind our goalkeeper or anything like that but they're just in a corner somewhere that that would be my preference so thinking back over your entire time supporting Sunderland who are some of your favorite players that you've seen don a Sunderland shirt without hesitation Kevin Phillips is is my favorite player of all time you know as I say I've, I've always been a Sunderland fan but I don't I, I don't pretend to know about Sunderland when I was like three four year old type thing I probably had a top but I couldn't tell you much that was going on so when I obviously started establishing a, a real understanding for what was going on it was really about the time Kevin Phillips joined the club the, the bloke's an absolute legend he comes up the region quite a lot to do like talkings and stuff like that and and i've seen him on a few times where after talkings you've seen him out in durham or you've seen him out in sunderland 
And I mean, he's people just buying pints from people wanting to get pictures with him, like grown men. It's, I mean, he's he's just an absolute legend. I mean, you've got to think as well. When he initially signed for us the first couple of years in the championship, he, he was just scoring goals for fun. And nowadays, I don't think he would have been able to stay with us. Someone would have offered serious money for him. And we're quite lucky that we had him in the era that we did, where it was quite, it was a lot easier to hold on to, to those types of players. Where nowadays, I think if a player like that was performing like that for Sunderland, someone would just snap them up, cut the fingers, give them money that you can't refuse, and that's that. But that first season in the Premier League, I mean, European golden boot for Sunderland. Uh, it's, I mean, you think now, nowadays, it doesn't. It's it's Messi and Ronaldo on tap, isn't it? Every year Ronaldo's yeah. won it, Messi's won it, Ronaldo. I mean, that puts it into context how big an achievement that was. He wasn't playing in any of the European competitions. You know, he was playing for Sunderland. He wasn't really like he was playing with footballers who weren't on the same level is 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 kind of like the usual winners of this golden boot by any means and and i really do think sometimes kevin phillips doesn't actually i think a lot of people kind of know kevin phillips was a top goal scorer and he did it for a long time he had a really long career but i sometimes don't think he actually gets the credit he deserves for that season and euro 2000 you know i think for a lot of southern fans it was a bitter pill to swallow that he, he didn't get one minute he just won the european golden boot and he didn't get on the pitch for england in euro 2000 and we got knocked out the group stages and Kevin Keegan being manager, I'm sure Kevin Keegan would have would have put him on. I don't think he would have jeopardised his job because he played for Sunderland or anything. But there is that element where you you sit there and you think, is there some kind of snobbery because he plays for Sunderland? He didn't get in the England team. But, you know, I'm saying that at the, at the same time, I'm, I'm happy he stuck with us. And maybe if he had done well for England, we wouldn't have held on to him for as, as long. I mean, I don't know how long you've got, James. I could I could name a few players. But the the, the others which come to mind is uh, Jermaine Defoe. Scored a load of goals for us. Massive goals for us. The, the goal he scored against Newcastle. You know, I, I say it's against Newcastle, but it wasn't even just the fact it was against Newcastle. It is the best goal I've seen I've seen live at this stage in my life, personally. Just the, it, just the yeah. ball, just projected off his foot and you just see Tim Krull just jump for it he wouldn't have gotten near it in the month of Sundays doesn't matter how high he jumped it was just a brilliant goal in that atmosphere that day and the goal of it I mean obviously he was crying on the pitch and everything but just some of the goals he scored and you know kind of the way he took the club and really embraced it and I, I guess as well obviously it goes about saying that you know with, with the period of time where Bradley Lowry was was with the club and, and regularly coming onto the pitch and, and and I think even just from a human point of view the, the way kind of you know supported Bradley I, I, I think was fantastic and, and was just testament to the fella to be honest so from a footballing point of view I'm just a, a, a general you know human point of view I just think I just think the, the bloke's first class if I could name one more, I could name a few more, but uh, you, you don't want your podcast to last for three hours. But another one's actually Julio Arca. Um, I loved Julio Arca growing up. He was about 18, 19 when he came to Sunderland. Could barely speak a word of English, moved from Argentina. I remember his debut. I remember his debut. It was on a Tuesday night against West Ham at home, um, and he, he scored on his debut. But the lad just had he was just had that South American flair and he was a real cult hero for Sunderland especially like he, he he dipped off a little bit he started off really well and then he dipped off a little bit when we were struggling in in the early noughties in the Premier League and then he kind of re-emerged under McCarthy in the championship and again he just at that level he was just he was just taking the mickey out uh, out of some of the players he was playing against and Proper cult hero I would say and uh, to this day I mean for them in the main I think he's always kind of 
stayed in the northeast. He was at Berra for a bit. He was at South Shields for a bit. I think his family, I think, have links to Sunderland, that type of thing. And again, just a, a, another example of a bloke who moved from South South America, couldn't speak a word of English, and really embraced the area. And took it for what it was, you know, a proper kind of hero around the place. So those are some of your preferred players, some of your favourite players. The natural question next to ask is, are there any players that you kind of wish didn't pull on a Sunderland shirt? I mean, one for me would be Josie Altador. I hated watching him. <laughs> God, I said how much time do you have about the favourite players? <laughs> do you know what? I could go on forever. And before the 2017-28 championship season, I could have named you a few players. But to be fair, take your pick from that season. Uh, it was awful. Honestly, absolutely awful. I, I, I can't put into words how bad that season was. I mean, I'm just going to say some off the top of my head and I will miss some out because there's so many. But Lee Camp, Jack Rodwell. You know, you mentioned Josie there. Jo- Josie out the door was, was poor. But compared to some of these lads that were playing in this championship team, I mean, my God, oh. James Vaughan's another one. In fact, I can't stand James Vaughan. James Vaughan had the goal to actually, when he did eventually get the ball in the back of the net, which took a blooming lifetime as it was, he scored a goal from about a yard out away at Burton, who were the only team worse than us in that league that season, ran up to the away fans, cupping his ears and basically, you know, giving it what for, as if to be like, oh, what you say now, what you say now, and you're thinking, oh, come off it, mate. Like, it, <laughs> we're, in, we're in, like, December or whatever it was. You could, you, you've literally, like... Be, not scored a goal. You're absolutely terrible. And you're going to have the goal to act as if you're like the Billy Big. I, I watched the French, but like going on as if he's like, and then when he left as well, just like on social media, he's always had a dig at us. He's been very bitter about it. And you just kind of think to yourself, like who on God's blue earth do you think you are? So they're, they're the ones that spring to mind. I will have missed some out. I will have missed some out, but they're the, they're the ones that spring to mind. I completely had put Jack Rodwell's name at the back of my head after the whole debacle with him. That was ridiculous. Oh, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm a realist. I'm a realist. I'm not going to be naive enough to think, you know, at the end of the day, like we're doing this podcast and you speak to football fans and, and our prerogative as football yeah. fans is that we, you know, want, want the club to do well. And I, I, I'm not kind of naive enough to realise that some players won't necessarily have that aligned kind of passion for it. And, and at the end of the day, it's no different uh, me turning up the work and, and you know, ultimately I, I've got a living to make and, and I've got to look at interests in, in that perspective. So Rodwell's been given a contract and whoever's given that contract, and this goes back to the Ellis Short example, and whoever Ellis Short's been put, uh, tr- putting his trust in to sort these contracts out, put it in Rodwell's contract that he didn't have a relegation clause in his contract where the rest of the players did which was mm. mad because we'd been staying up by the skin of our teeth for about three, four years on the bounce. In that respect, you know, you can't really blame Rodwell. In a sense, you can't blame Rodwell. It's not his fault the contract was the way it was. What I would say is that it does become a, a period of time where, OK, so he doesn't want to leave the club, he's on good wages, he's got a contract, but, you know, try and make yourself available. Like, in, in, on that Netflix series, I mean, he got done like a kipper. When, when there was microphones in the background and I don't think he was aware. And he's basically, he just basically didn't want to bother. And he just, and you talk about football mercenaries and sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it's not. But I, I mean, he is the definition of a football mercenary. And I was reading something the other day because it's quite shockingly that he's, he's at Sheffield United in the Premier League now. 
And I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't remember him ever kicking a ball for Sheffield United either. No, I think he's made like one or two sub appearances in like the 80th minute or something. I tell you what, his agent, it must be one of the best agents in the country. How he keeps getting a, a job in football, I've no idea. Honestly, he just, he, he's just, he's, he is a footballer mercenary. You know, he, he, will people who will argue and turn around and say to me, well, look, Philly's, he's, he's making money out of it, blah, 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 blah. And if that's his prerogative, that's his prerogative. But... It, it doesn't right with me personally. So we're going to move on to talking about managers now. Sunderland, like a lot of other teams, have had somewhat of a revolving door system when it comes to managers in recent years. So we're going to play one of our mini games where we'll see how far you can go naming managers from the present gaffer Lee Johnson working backwards. How do you think you can do on this one? I'll try my best. I'm, I'm fa- fairly confident. I'll not put too much pressure on myself. I'm mo- modestly say I hope I do well. So we'll start with Lee Johnson. Who was the manager before that? Um, it was Phil Parkinson. And before that? It was uh, Jack Ross. Who was before Ross? It was Chris Coleman. Before Chris Coleman, it was... Are we including caretakers in this or just permanent managers? We're not including caretakers, no. Okay, okay. I'm just, you know, I've got to watch out for these things, you know. So, uh, do you want me just to keep going? Just reel them off, see how far you can get. Okay, so yeah. uh, Simon Grayson... Um, and then before Simon Grayson, it was David Moyes. Uh, before Moisey, it was Allardyce. Before Allardyce, it was Advocat. Before Advocat, it was Poirier. Before Poirier, it was De Canio. Before De Canio, it was O'Neill. Before O'Neill, it was Bruce. Um, before Bruce, it was Sprazier. Um, I could keep going here, by the way. Um, before Sprazier, it was Keane. Before Keane, I want to say it was Quinn, but I don't know whether that's classed as a tech caretaker capacity because he was manager chairman. But I think he always yeah. had the intention of, of taking over. So is it technically Quinn? Technically, it, it was McCarthy. Uh, yeah. Wall was caretaker in between that. Before McCarthy, it was Wilkinson, Reed, and this is where you're challenging me now because I kind of came into the Peter Reed stage. So I am trying to think <laughs> before Peter Reed. I'm gonna take a stab at Malcolm Crosby. No. To be fair, I'm all right with that because I, 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 as I say, my kind of introduction at Sunderland was Peter Reid, so I'll, I'll, I'm not too bad with. I'm happy with that. That's not too bad. Who was it before Peter Reid? Mick Buxton. Nick Buxton, right, I wouldn't have got that, but uh, me, me dad will be giving us a clip round here, you know, doubt for that, but never mind. So let's move on to the current manager then, Lee Johnson. Um, what was your thoughts on the appointment of him? We've had that many appointments that you become, know that you become, you're always in the back of your mind kind of think, right, this could be good, but I'm just going to take a step back and see how he does it first before you, you gauge too much of an opinion. What what I would say about Johnson is my initial thoughts were, because he basically took the job and went straight down um, to the dugout and, 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 and managed a Wigan game, even though he'd not even took a training session, which was quite hands-on. And we lost the game, which was, you know, it was really poor because Wigan have been struggling all season. But it was his interview after the game, which actually, I think I said at the time, I'm probably being naive, being a Sunderland fan in the back of mind. You always think I'm being too positive here. I'm going to get knocked, knocked back a bit. But just the way he was speaking, he had his outlook. He could just tell, even when we, we lost a few games at the start under him, you could see the way he was trying to play. And it was something that we hadn't done since we've been down in League One. It was this attitude of like, you know what, we're going to go teams. You know, we're going to, a lot of these League One defences, and I mean that with all the respect in the world, but a lot of these teams in League One, the defenders aren't the likes who can play it out from the back. And if you high press these teams and catch them out, and we have done in some games since, 
you know, we're catching teams out and getting goals and just that high press football that he's that he's got us playing. It's so refreshing after Phil Parkinson. Phil, Phil Parkinson just had us playing a style of football that was just diabolical. If I can be completely honest to the bloke, it was just it, it's just been a, a real refreshing outlook on and how you set out the team and, and, and wants us to perform and, and, and to say, do you know what? We, we're going to go out and we're going to go at teams. And that's been reflected in the form that we've had. It's been reflected in the form that of Charlie Wyke scoring so many goals. He's set the team out to the point where Charlie Wyke's just picking goals up for fun. And this is a bloke who, before this season, you know, was struggling for confidence, could, could barely get a goal. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of these where, with caution, I'm very happy with him at the moment and certainly can't complain. But, uh, yeah, very optimistic. Charlie Wyke's another interesting one, isn't it? You, you said there that he struggled for goals before this season. He only had five in the entirety of last season in League One. This year, he's got 22. So that goes to show the impact that Lee Johnson has had, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, in fairness to Wyke, he, he had been picking up a bit under Parkinson anyway. He'd done a lot better than what he'd done the season before, even under Parkinson. But then under Johnson, he's just took it to another level. I always say with Sunderland, if I, if I have a negative opinion on them, I'm always happy to be proven wrong. It's not like where if yeah. I have an opinion and something, then I'm going to be like, oh, I look like a bit of a mug here. No one enjoys the taste of humble pie more than me when it comes to Sunderland, if it's in a good way. And with Wyke, I think at the start, you know, admittedly, I probably had a, I probably did have a bit of patience for him. He started off and he got quite a bad injury, which I think set him back a little bit. But he just always looked really unconfident. I mean, I'm no psychologist, but you used to watch him, just his shoulders, his body language. He always looked like he, he was like quite unconfident. And I think he was one of these where if he got a bit of stick off the fans, it, I think it maybe affected him a little bit. I can't speak for him. I'm, you know, that that's just an external opinion. But this season, he just he just looks happier as a person when you watch him, just he's... Just the, his, his enthusiasm, the way, the way he's kind of playing. And even when he's like scoring, he just looks like he's just, he just looks like a happier bloke, to be honest, in, in general. But he just his gameplay in general, just his, his movement, you know, he, you can tell just by the way he's, he's, he's playing that the confidence is, is coming out and, and the goals are coming and he's, he's done fantastic. But I, no, I, I, I wouldn't lie. He, there was a few people who I think had lost patience with him before this season. And, and I don't think anyone's complaining with him now. I think... You know, you can, to a point, you know, you can say Johnson is the reason we, we are performing so well. But I think, you know, before Johnson came in, you, you've got to give White the credit. And you'd arguably say without White's goals, we wouldn't be in the promotion picture even now, both during Johnson's tenure and, and before Johnson came in. So we've got a lot to thank him for this season, to be fair. It's definitely looking up for Sunderland at the moment, isn't it? If Sunderland win their two games in hand, they will be top of the League One table. Did you see that happening at the start of the season, if you're honest? I'll be, I'll be honest with you, James. We lost to Shrewsbury in February, and after the Shrewsbury game, I had my doubts. Yeah, we've. I think the nature of League One is if you can go on a run like we have done, you can really kind of steamroll your way up the league. And yeah, I have to admit, I, I didn't see it coming, but I've been pleasantly surprised. I think I think some of the additions Johnson's brought in as well. We've signed Jordan Jones on loan from Rangers, um, and he's just a cut above at this level. He's, some of the balls he's been putting into to Wyke uh, have been brilliant. And then, I mean, th- th- there's another topic of conversation. Aidan McGeady's back playing, you know, in Phil Parkinson. Yeah. I mean, what Phil Parkinson was thinking not playing Aidan McGeady. I mean, you know, if it was an internal matter and, you know, he's the manager and he's dropped him and he's shown him who's boss, I get that to an extent. 
but don't cut your nose off to spite your own face. He's the best player in that league by a country mile. And Johnson just bringing him in, that's made a hell of a difference as well. So I think the additions coming in really, really helps. Sanderson at the back as well, who we've got on loan from Wolves. Because that, that's the other thing which has coincided with the form, which has been crazy. You would argue that Bailey Wright and Jordan Willis, our two regular centre-backs, are two of our best players. And they've both been injured. And we've had... At one point, we've had, you know, Max Power centre midfielder playing at right-back. Luke 9 right-back or centre midfielder playing at centre-back. With Dion Sanderson, who's, I think he's 20-year-old, on loan from Wolves. But they've been phenomenal as well, which has really helped. Sanderson is one to watch out for. Honestly, I'm, I don't want to kind of exaggerate on, on this one. I'm not saying he's going to captain England or anything like that, but he will be one that will end up playing in the Premier League for Wolves, if not Wolves and someone else. He's He's got a lot about him for a 20-year-old kid. Absolutely, I completely agree with you. So how would you sum up how the season has gone so far? At this stage, I'm, I'm very content. And, and we just need to do what's required of us. As you said, we've got those games in hand. It's in our hands. If we do what we're meant to do, you know, we'll we'll get promoted. But, you know, we, we all know following Sunderland, it's never as simple as that. But in terms of the overall season, it's, it's been topsy-turvy. We're winning games at the start under Parkinson, but unconvincingly. And we were probably getting away with it a little bit. And then we got found out and we were really struggling a bit. And, and we were losing to teams that... You know, we've actually probably lost to more teams down the bottom of the league than we have the top, ironically. I, I think you would probably say the first half, if, if we say we're in the second half of the season, the first half of the season was a real lack of consistency, which under Johnson now we seem to we seem to have got. And that's been the difference. We seem to have had that consistency now and, and we're pushing on. So, yeah, it's in our hands. If we do what meant to do, we'll get promoted. But I say that with caution because... Uh, Sunderland really are one of those football clubs that, that, that kind of work your hopes up and then out of nowhere you come crashing back down. So I say that with caution. Absolutely. I think I think you're right to be cautious. So with the championship, hopefully, in Sunderland sites, what changes do you think will need to be made to make that step back up? I think in reality, it, it, it probably does sound a bit harsh because a lot of the lads who are playing at the moment, I think, are really pulling, pulling up trays at the moment. But I think the reality is I think we will need a, a, an injection of players if we go into the championship. What, one of the things which will be interesting, whether we go up or don't go up this season, is we've got, I can't remember the number of players now, but we've got loads of players out of contract this summer. And Johnson's kind of alluded to that and said, you know, the best way to get a contract is get us promoted. So it's probably working in our favour because you've got a lot of people who are playing for the careers at Sunderland. Probably works in our favour a little bit. So I think there's a lot of players who probably, if we were to go to the championship, you know, as harsh as it may sound, we'll probably not renew the contracts and, and we'll probably get rid. And because we've, you know, got Kirill Dravus, who's came in, who brings an injection of, of money into the club, I think, yeah, I think we do need a, a, a blend of maintaining, you know, a, some of the players that we've got. But yeah, a bit of championship experience, I think, will be needed um, initially uh, just, just to kind of keep us on the straight and narrow I think so let's think about heading to a game obviously we're still in the middle of this national lockdown but hopefully the end is in sight soon for me when I was going to Sunderland matches I religiously had chips and gravy from one of the food vans afterwards it was the perfect way to either you know lift your spirits back up after a loss or help to celebrate a decent performance what about you is there a specific place you go to before the games or is there a staple food you have to indulge in what's your match day experience like it is a bit of a mix to be honest so I do like the pint 
before and after the game. So um, you've got the Colliery Tavern, which is, which is near the stadium, which uh, we sometimes dip into for a pint. It's interesting because with the home games, I, I, I go with my family. And then with away games, depending, I sometimes go with my family, I sometimes go with my mates. So sometimes that's a bit dependent. It's the same with the home games. I kind of mix it up. Sometimes I've... I meet the lads in the in the town centre, and, and we go for a, we go for a few pints uh, that way on. But yeah, pint, I tend to like a slight pint of star of Pramen at the game. They, they do pint of star of Pramen. They've got the big. I don't know if, since you were last at Sunday, James, but they've got the big hotel down near the ground as well, and and, and do pint of star of Pramen in there. But yeah, to be honest, there's no set location because I mix it up quite a lot. Sometimes I meet the lads in town. Sometimes I go near the stadium with my family, um, so so there's no set ritual of that. Food-wise, I love a chicken balty pie. Chicken balty pie is always quite nice. Or pink slice, can't go wrong with a pink slice as well, which is a, rare, a, a good Sunday delicacy as well. When we are allowed back into games, what is probably the one thing that you've missed that you're most looking forward to seeing, other than obviously the football? The, the day out in general, from from a social point of view, really, because as as I say, it's um, it's it's a big thing, really, because I, I, as I've just kind of said there, you know, it's, it's a real mix for me, you know. Some, sometimes I'm with my mates, and it's a good way of like all the lads getting together. Also, as well, it's it's a good way for us to to go out with the family and, and and we go to the game as well. And you always bump into familiar faces, people who you wouldn't bump into really, or have an excuse to bump into unless you were going to the match. So there's that element of it as well. And I think you know one of one of the things about supporting any football team, not just Sunderland, is a lot of the time if Sunderland are doing well, you know you're desperate for Sunderland to do well. So when I say it's a bonus, it's not just a bonus. You always want them to do well. But what makes up for Sunderland perhaps not delivering sometimes is the fact that you've still had a cracking day out. You've had a few pints, you know. You've had a you've you've had, you've had a look out. It's it's a big. It's it's not just the 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 kind of ninety minutes. It's 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 the afternoon. It's the evening. You know. Sometimes you'll go out after the game. You'll have a night out straight off the bat after a game. There's there's so many different variances. I mean, I I miss the away games so much. Again, sometimes with the family. Sometimes with with my mates. I actually went that last away game I went to just before the lockdown. It, it was literally just weeks before the lockdown was when Coventry. I think they still are playing at Birmingham City's ground. Actually, I think they still play there. But it was on the it was on Sky on the Sunday morning. So a few of us, a few of the lads, we'd like booked a Airbnb in Birmingham and and had like a big day slash night out in Birmingham. Then had like the the match on the Sunday, driven back on the Sunday night. And it's it, it that's what it is, you know. You, you you can make a weekend of these games. You can you can really kind of make some make some really cracking memories, and that, that that's probably what I miss about them more than anything. So to round off the podcast, then what I always do is get people to pitch their team. So if you've got somebody who's, for example, relatively new to football and they're trying to find a football team to support, how would you pitch Sunderland to them? I think you alluded to it at the start. If you like a roller coaster ride. You know, you will experience some extreme lows, but the beautiful thing about supporting Sunderland is you do get some extreme lows, but when you get the highs, they're extreme highs as a consequence. And I think that's that's the beauty of it, and 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 that's what you know I, I particularly love about. I don't particularly enjoy the extreme lows. Don't get me wrong, but as opposed to say following a Man City or a Man United or a Liverpool where it's just constant success. You, you really appreciate the highs and when they come round the they're really special. It's it's like the it's like I know I know it's just the Papa John's trophy and I know some people will say that it's just a Papa John's trophy, but you know it was a massive shame we weren't at Wembley for that because yeah. if if we were 
And I mean, it's been brilliant weekends, even when we've lost down there, to be honest. If we'd won and we'd been down Wembley, it would have just been epic. And and that's the thing, you know, you just appreciate the high so much when they come round. And they do come round. You have to be patient, but they do come round. And when they do, there's, there's, there's nothing better. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, a trophy is a trophy. Yeah, that, that's it. But I mean, not even just the, the trophy, just in general. Like Man United away, winning on penalties, semi-final of the League Cup to get to Wembley. You know, you, you sit there and, and, and you think to yourself, you know, this is what makes the the Burries away in the League Cup um, under under Niall Quinn, the, 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 you know, the, the, the kind of Rotherham's away that you go to when, when, when you're not doing so well. This is what makes it all worth it. This is what it is. Um, you know, it, it makes you, it really makes you appreciate the high so much more. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Phil, for taking the time to come onto the podcast and talking to us. Good luck to Sunderland for the rest of the season. And obviously, I have my allegiances with Sunderland too, so I do hope that they get promoted this yeah, season. Yeah, thanks so much, James. I've really enjoyed it. And for your, for your sake also, I hope Grimsby do well to the end of the season too. Yeah, we don't talk about that one. I, I'm, I'm not too confident about Grimsby, but got to be optimistic, haven't we? Uh, we'll see we'll see gotta keep the faith thanks again to Phil for talking to us and of course thank you for listening if you'd like to help me on my quest to speak to at least one fan from each of the clubs in the 92 and talk all about your club you can find us on twitter at the 92 podcast or email us the 92 podcast at gmail.com don't forget to subscribe or follow the 92 podcast so you don't miss an episode you can also support the podcast via our ACAST supporter page. There's a link to that in the episode description. Thank you to Sunil, our guest from the Leicester City episode, who has already supported the podcast with a donation. You don't have to pay or donate to listen to the podcast, but any contributions are always greatly appreciated. Next time, I'll be talking to another fan from another club in the 92. See you then. <laughs>